From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. As rough as the situation has been in central New York during the pandemic, people in other parts of the world are struggling in ways we can hardly imagine. A group based in Ecuador is leading an emergency response to provide food and basic hygiene supplies to highly vulnerable families. It's a group through which many upstate students and faculty have learned about global health called Walking Palms. Speaking with me by phone are board member Anna Stewart Ibarra in Uruguay. She's an assistant professor at Upstate and also the scientific director for the Inter-American Institute for Global Change Research in Uruguay. And Avril Diaz, a young scientist and graduate of SUNY ESF in Syracuse, who is in Ecuador. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Amber. Great to be back. If I understand correctly, the non-governmental organization Walking Palms was actually formed in response to a different disaster, the 2016 earthquake. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And that was about four years ago when we we had started that and have built it ever since. Okay. And this is Avril Diaz. So yeah, four years ago, um, has Ecuador fully recovered yet from the earthquake? No, we're still recovering from the earthquake. Um, this in 2020 is when we finally received funds for our area to start reconstructing our hospital. Um, but those efforts, and that was four years past uh, the earthquake, um, and the efforts have had to be put on pause because of the COVID-19 crisis. And I know, Anna, you were there uh, during the earthquake or right after, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so in 2016, in April 2016, we were working in the southern coastal region of Ecuador with our research team doing different studies on mosquito-borne disease. And when the earthquake hit, we relocated our team and began to organize um, efforts to provide health care, basic health care to affected communities. And that's when Avrielle joined us. She had and planning to do research with our team and really took on this amazing leadership role and uh, then founded the, the NGO that has continued to flourish today and continue to work with those same communities to provide healthcare. So Avriel, um, being there in Ecuador, tell us please, how has the pandemic affected the area where you're living? Yeah, so I would say that um, the big difference is that you know we're dealing with limited resources we're dealing with a lot of issues with severe food shortages um lack of water in many of the neighborhoods surrounding our area um you know we have lack of access to basic medical supplies as well um you know people are living in isolation very differently than in areas that have access to internet so you're you could be living in a small house where you know there's no internet there's no phone service uh isolation is just extremely difficult right now for a lot of people extreme heat there's no fans or ac in a lot of areas um, so we're having a lot of not only medical issues but a lot of uh, mental health being impacted and and basic human rights are are lacking in a lot of areas I've read Ecuador described as the pandemic's epicenter in Latin America. Does it feel that way to you? 
Yes, it definitely feels that way. Um, I personally know many people that have passed from this uh, and it's, it's very challenging right now. Are there more people per capita that are sick and affected by this than in America, do you know? Is it hitting Ecuador harder than it is number-wise in America? Yeah, so I think that um, if you look at the numbers, you have about 0.18% that are infected in Ecuador versus 0.36% infected in in the U.S. Um, so U.S. is showing more infection per capita, but there are such limited testing abilities here. So we really don't know how, how many more cases we potentially have. Um, but the death rate has you know, been reported as around 1,600 deaths, but in reality, we're seeing many more thousands of deaths related to COVID and not just from the virus itself, but from other health disparities. So lack of transportation to get medical use, to get medical supplies, extreme heat, um, you know, living in small area with lack of water. So I think there's severe underreporting under of, of numbers. So what is happening with the health system there? You said that there's a lack of basic medical supplies and the hospital still needs to be rebuilt from the earthquake. What are people doing for health care? Mm -hmm. So in our area, for example, um, initially the response was very slow. And I think that the medical systems had just a lack of information and also lack of basic medical resources. Uh, I my, myself was sick in the beginning of March and personally speaking, um, you know, the healthcare system just wasn't prepared to handle uh, advising people as to where to go or how to even go about what to do with a patient that may potentially have COVID-19. Um, and so I think it's been pretty challenging. We also have very limited PPE. And so, you know, nurses and doctors, you know, live in fear for their own personal safety, which is so important. And I think you know, with the lack of resources that we have, it's been very challenging um, to get people the proper attention. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with two scientists, Anna Stewart Ibarra in Uruguay and Avril Diaz in Ecuador. Uh, I wanted to ask you, in Ecuador, is there a, a complete sort of lockdown of the country or how is the government responding? Yeah, so right now there is a complete lockdown and that began in March, uh, mid-March. So we have no public transportation and we have a mandatory curfew starting at 2 p.m. Marketplaces close around 12.30. Um, we also have a system where you can only take your car out and, based on your license plate. So once a week enter the market based on the last digit of your social security um, also once a week and so it's very very strict here and i think that the government um, is doing a, a good job of enforcing that we can't leave the house for 
exercise, which has been very challenging for a lot of people. Again, being so isolated in, in very small homes, in extreme heat, it's extremely challenging. So you mentioned shortages of food and lack of water. Talk to me, if you will, about Walking Palms, the, the More Than Food initiative that you have. Yeah, so we started the More Than Food initiative uh, as a way to, to help the communities that we've been working in. The More Than Food initiative is, as it sounds, more than food. Um, in the boxes, they get um, ra- food rations, of course, so that includes dairy, uh, fresh produce, staples, rice, flour, oatmeal, um, uh, different veggies, proteins. And then on top of that, we also provide uh, different mental health coping skills. And we've partnered with Peace in Minds, a Canadian-based organization um, led by psychologists and psychiatrists to, to develop that. The other thing that's included in the boxes are um, we are working with University of Wisconsin and Iowa State University on dengue prevention and science education. Right now, uh, we also have a dengue outbreak in Ecuador, uh, in our area. And so it's important that people are receiving information about co-infections. And then the other things that are uh, going to be included in the boxes are masks, cloth masks to wear outside uh, for everyday use, and then um, reusable sanitary pads for women. So how do you get these supplies to the people that need them? So we have uh, a great partnership with the Municipio, which is the Ministry um, of Public Services and Health, and they have provided us with the permissions to be out past two o'clock, and also they provided us with transportation, as well as biosecurity suits. And so our staff um, receives uh, different food and the materials from local vendors. And we're currently working with 13 local vendors trying to, to work with a few different groups from, from different areas to try to help the economy and, and kind of spread it that way. Uh, and it's been amazing to see how uh, empowered and inspiring so many of the local farmers have been to, to really get these food rations out so that we can make these deliveries. Wonderful. Well, Anna, let me ask you, um, how is this pandemic likely to impact the global health programs over the long term? That's a really good question, Amber, and I think uh, we still don't know. I can speak more broadly, study abroad, and sort of global research has certainly come to a halt, and it will likely be a while before those sorts of activities begin again. I know that there was a group of uh, students from SUNY Upstate who are planning on going to Ecuador this summer to do research on global health, and and they will be doing that experience from Syracuse, analyzing or from home, analyzing secondary data sources or doing other kinds of work. Um, so it's having a huge impact uh, on research. Um, it seems and, like yeah. something like this underscores the need to have global health education programs. But at the same time, it's making it, well, impossible to do them the way we used to do them, right? 
Certainly. And I think right now a lot of people are thinking about creative ways to have global education, but from wherever you are in the world, right? So um, you don't necessarily have to get on a plane to have a, a global health education opportunity. Although clearly uh, being on the ground and having face-to-face -face interactions and experiencing local culture and uh, it is something that you can't replace through a Zoom meeting, but it, at least in the, in the next you know, number of months or the next period of time, it looks like that's the way we'll be going. Um, and as you mentioned though, I think this reinforces also the need for having uh, established platforms, established research programs and education and training programs and groups like, uh, like Avriel's group of Walking Palms on the ground and ready to respond when any epidemic hits, whether you know we were on the ground also when Zika hit just a few years ago, right after the earthquake. And so being able to already have those established partnerships to be nimble, to be able to respond to the community and the global health research needs, that's really critical. And it's something that ha requires a long-term investment in partnerships that, that's not something that happens overnight. Right. Well, can you tell us what uh, the coronavirus pandemic is looking like in Uruguay? How is it affecting your life there? Um, thankfully, there have been few cases in Uruguay compared to other parts uh, of the Americas. We've had somewhere a little over 600 cases in a country of about 3 million. So it's been pretty quiet here. We've been working from home since mid-March, uh, but there's no mandated uh, curfew or mandate that we have to stay home, but people are choosing to stay and work from home. So for now, just waiting it out. You know, um, one of the most important measures they took were to was to close the borders because Uruguay is a very small country, sort of sandwiched in between Argentina and Brazil. And both countries have had many more cases. And so to reduce the risk for the local population, they you know, immediately closed borders. And so the, the airport has very limited number of flights coming in and out. And, and we're just you know, waiting to see what happens. But thankfully, there have been um, very few, relatively few cases. And I think you know, less than 20 deaths associated with COVID here in Uruguay. Well, I appreciate both of your perspectives from where you're at. Uh, thank you to Anna Stewart-Ibarra in Uruguay and Avril Diaz in Ecuador. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.